You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we discuss computers, new technology, uh, tech internets, all of the fun stuff. Uh, it's no secret uh, that how we make and experience content is changing pretty quickly, and technology has got uh, a lot to do with that. Uh, speaking of Microsoft's uh, Xbox showcase in San Francisco recently, the Oculus founder, Palmer Lucky, said that virtual reality is better suited to new platforms rather than the services uh, like their current uh, master and uh, landlord. Uh, the thing to remember is Facebook, the social networking tool as it exists today, is not necessarily the future of VR. He said, uh, hanging around the virtual campfire isn't what people do on Facebook today. Uh, we're going to take a look at how we might be using VR services, in particular how we access media content with Emily Harridge, who's founding director of Melbourne's Visual Playground, uh, who was speaking in Melbourne recently at the, I'm going to get this wrong, Nomon Live Festival. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. James, how would you like to be uh, using VR on your couch uh, in a couple of years' time? How does the noble household foresee uh, VR. I was thinking about this the other day, last week actually because we're kind of doing some of this and prototyping some VR stuff at the moment and I think I would love to be able to go to games that I can't go to so that is sporting events. I was thinking I was I was offered, I, a friend of mine got offered two tickets to go see the Golden State Warriors next week and he gave it to someone who we knew at the second ticket, someone we knew in San Francisco and I was like I would fly out, go to that game and fly back in, in two days just to go to that and then that made me think why can't I do that? Why can't I sit in a stadium as a, as a, with a, as a seat in a virtual reality and watch this live? So that was my idea on my couch. Sounds pretty amazing, doesn't it? And it doesn't, doesn't seem too far away. Yeah, and I can sit courtside there. So. <laughs> it kind of devalues Drake and all of his cronies if, uh, if we're all sitting in the front row, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, what about you? What would you like to be doing in VR on your couch? Oh, yeah. I would like to be at the sport. I think that would be great. I think uh, music performances would be good as well. Yeah. Crowd surfing, yeah, that that would be a lot of fun. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna um, scrape that a little bit um, in a second. Uh, another aspect of culture creation that is uh, ripe for disruption and play is how we interact with music. Uh, I got along to Future Assembly Conference in Melbourne uh, late last year. Uh, I was blown away by a person on stage making soundscapes with their hands and uh, and a little bit of equipment. Uh, we'll be talking to the creator of Org, uh, Josh Young, uh, in studio tonight, and hopefully he'll be making some great noises for us uh, as well. Uh, Dan Salmon, what, what music would you like to be making with your body, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a loaded question. I mean, considering that my, uh, my, my brain, there we go, how about that? Like, I, I, I'm not particularly musically gifted in terms of writing stuff. I can mm. replicate other people's music, but I would really like to be able to create it with my own mind. Um, having said that, any, any, piece, any part of my body that doesn't make disgusting noises would be uh, interesting to try and make when you so when you when you're really when you're really feeling music what are you doing are you doing air guitar or are you playing some keys or i'm i'm generally playing air bass mm. um or closing my eyes and kind of absorbing it mm. the, 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 those are my two go-to i'm always drum reactions drum, i used drums? to play bass i'm always drums i love the rhythm because i think i can keep one but i can't okay <laughs> if, if, if air, air drums are actually the best if you're a theatrical person because there's no ignoring someone who's playing air drums particularly like on public transport perfect like. for the tram totally yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So we'll, we'll see somebody who actually knows what they're doing in that, uh, in that space in a moment. Um, that will be very interesting. But uh, before we have those conversations, we shall uh, have a look at some of the news uh, and the headlines that uh, has been impacting us around the world. 
Uh, it probably hasn't escaped any of you that yesterday was International Women's Day and we thought we'd um, have a look at some of the women who've been uh, contributing to technology uh, over the years. Uh, the history of technology is the history of uh, women with great ideas and it is overlooked, I, I guess, uh, well, quite quite a lot these days. Um, the pendulum swung the other way and you do see a lot of uh, men um, up on podiums talking about technology, but it wasn't always the way. Uh, guys, who, who are some of the, um, the women um, over time that uh, have, have made a, a contribution and then maybe we'll talk about, you know, women in our lives that, that we respect in terms of technology as well. I think um, the probably one that I can remember the most has just been recent, it's actually quite recent, was Sophie Wilson that's taken over as CEO at uh, uh, recently, Microsoft recently landed in hot water as it went out C- CEO Satya, I can't even pronounce this, Nadella said in a speech uh, at the Great Hopper Celebration that women's in computing, I am reading this out, uh, that women uh, should, shouldn't ask for raises. And uh, she basically went, went to the podium and uh, pulled this out and question, questioned this, and it was it eventually made a pretty big wave in the in Microsoft as a whole. Um, this was, I think it was about middle of last year, was it, off the top of my mm-hmm. head? Um, uh, but this, uh, while I was doing it, this was by sheer fluke. I, I didn't realise we were adding this in until till yesterday. To you added this into the uh, into the list, and there was I was doing some judging on some websites, and there was another website that came out, and it went one step further, which was uh, is unwomen unwomen dot org. Uh, they went back as far as 400 BC to start listing people in not only technology, um, but just uh, over over history of what they've done and what advances they've done for the human race. And it's really imp- impressive. Like uh, I, some of these things, I ha- obviously. I hadn't wasn't aware of, but the people have obviously gone to great lengths to sort of find all this history, and you start to realise, wow, this—it's not just the history kind of dictates who who won the war and who was the hero and who was the villain, and and the same things when it comes to um, sort of who created what and when, and because it was been so male dominated for so long, you, you don't didn't realise or were unaware that there was actually a hell of a lot of it's pretty much you know fifty fifty the whole way for the for the entire uh, last four hundred five hundred six hundred years, and uh, there's some inf- really interesting information in here. That's to do with sort of uh, research in cancer, research in even things like um, gynecology and the advancements of um, uh, discovering diseases and uh, discover, working out certain um, diodes and things within the um, what's the periodic table. It's just it's it's amazing. I never I always I think from personally I always think of things as being it shouldn't be it shouldn't be waving the, the women's flag. It should be waving the people's flag that we're all even and all equal and there is no there should just be. A person that did it, not a male or a female, and it's interesting to see how it's going to advance. So there's this really nice push yesterday, and I saw lots of people across lots of different um, fundraisings, from Greenpeace through to um, one girl um, putting out a hero list, a top ten hero list, top ten top. 20 here a list so that was quite interesting to see what was going on one of the uh ones that i came across that um was interesting you tend to think of the military industrial complex as a, as a an especially male um mm. area um there was a great project um back around world war ii called the uh NIAC, uh the electronic numeral integrator and computer uh, project it was the first general purpose uh electronic digital computer um built uh in philadelphia by the u.s army uh, at the time, uh, programming uh, was effectively seen as uh, just key punching, so it was women's work, um, uh, or considered that at the time. Uh, there was a group of six women called the uh, NIAC Girls uh, who actually put together the program behind uh, some of these um, uh, complex or relatively complex for the day um, uh, programs. Um, the machine involved actually ran a ballistics trajectory uh, in a few seconds once the program was uh, uploaded to it, which is pretty amazing uh, and true to form uh, when the public uh, and the press were invited to view the, the progress of NIAC um, the women were actually not present and, uh, and largely remained invisible um, which is, let's be honest, uh, pretty 
shit. But um, yeah, there is a whole host of um, uh, achievements um, that we could um, touch into. But I don't know, guys, do you have... Um, it's a shame that we don't have um, um, somebody here to talk more personally about this, but from your experience, what are some of the women in technology that you've been uh, influenced by or, or have helped you in your own careers? Well, um, from a personal perspective, I think one of the most um, influential tech science people I know is actually my sister, who's a cancer researcher and has done a lot of mm. um, uh, research into kind of that kind of thing. Um, I, I would be remiss to say that I don't think I'm a pretty massive fan of Vanessa from the bike crew. Um, <laughs> she, she, uh, I mean, not coming from a tech background, I've um, learned a lot from her and from all of you guys. But yeah, I, I would say in terms of the women in pers- personally in my life, mm. um, I, I would say they're the two most influential. I did want to. She's uh, always helping you with your Instagram filters. Absolutely. She? Oh, she's <laughs> yeah. so good at it. Yeah. Um, I, I did quickly <laughs> want to touch on um, someone um, higher profile who uh, I always found inspiring, and I will be honest, I only discovered her maybe six or seven months ago um, via a Google Doodle. Um, Hedy Lamar, who uh, who's research into uh, uh, spread spectrum technology and uh, various other um, electromagnetic wave based sciences, um, the ba- the basis of a large amount of our telecommunications and um, radio communications uh, today. Um, she, in in addition to being um, a traditionally um, famous actress, movie star um, had this a whole other side to her which is actually far more influential and far more, um, I suppose, impressive. Uh, so, yeah, she, I would say it, she would probably be my number one female in tech. Back to home as well, I think that Bora who's working on the, uh, the technology for in healthcare. That's a really. As soon as she told me about it, I was like, "Why has no one done this before? This is pretty. This is really amazing stuff." Like, I'd love to be part of that, but at the same time, it's already been created by her. So. <laughs> um, but that was a. Fa- it was just, there's so many people, even like Kate Kendall, who we all know from Melbourne, who's um, recently uh, done an engagement photo shoot. Um, uh, but she she's been an advocate, and I remember when she started the fetch and trying to do something different. And uh, even myself, Rachel, who I uh, was one of my uh, lead designers, um, always good to have a other person's perspective, and always thought uh, she was doing really good things and an advocate for good design. And I think there's, it's diff- I find it really difficult to think about whether it was a woman or a, yeah or a man. A man, I just they were just people and. It is strange, but also yeah. also a little bit necessary considering how the pendulum yeah. has swung the other way and, and yeah. how all the assumptions that it's uh, um, man's work or man's jobs or men, male entrepreneurs should be coming up with these great ideas and, yeah. and, and things. So, um, yeah, quaint, but, but um, unfortunately necessary. Um, one of the things that is also unfortunate, um, Ray Tomlinson, uh, one of the pioneers of email and the uh, at symbol, uh, has recently died. Um, Dan, wh- what was uh, Ray's legacy? What's Ray been up to? Well, um, Ray's legacy was, as, as you said, the, the at symbol. Prior, prior to its use in email, it was a reasonably obscure character. Um, he, he, it was he who came up with the idea of uh, including it in the... Um, I suppose the connection between your your uh, own personal identifier and the domain with which uh, you're or in which you're uh, located. Um, he was instrumental in developing ARPANET, which was an early ver- the, one of the earliest versions of the internet um, that the U.S. government uh, did create. Um, he. he According to um, some things that I'm reading right now, he was just fooling around when he wrote and sent the first email on the ARPANET system, uh, which said, 
don't tell anyone this isn't what we're supposed to be working on. I like that he <laughs> used the at symbol because he, f- it, he just liked it and it felt like it, you were, actually it was a location. It was you at this. Mm. Um, so I thought that was a really nice, uh, nice idea. And he just seemed like a really nice guy. When you've seen him interviewed, he was just... It's just inquisitive, and uh, I mean the, the the system that he was working on originally. We, as we know, the internet was invented by the, the by the armies trying to communicate with each other, other people knowing about it, and that's how it was spawned into something that. Gosh, can you imagine what it would be like not using the internet and not having the internet anymore? <laughs> um, so, and be able to communicate like this uh, when he had these really quick conversational, uh, this quick uh, conversational email that these the computers actually sat next to each other. So, in reality, it looked like it only travelled about. Thing, six, uh, six to twelve inches from one screen to another. <laughs> I like it. I like how the first email was um, some guys just stuffing around as well, which email has continued to be ever since that day, and people <laughs> yeah. just kind of doing stuff that wasn't particularly necessary, perhaps. Uh, you are listening to Bite Into It on Triple R this week with Dan, James, and Warren. Um, we're getting pretty geeky in here. We've got uh, a lot of stuff that's being set up, so uh, you might have to bear with us a little bit, but it is going to be uh, worth the wait. Uh, as I did mention earlier on, uh, I got along to Future Assembly uh, in November or December of last year, and thankfully there weren't too many sort of boring suits up there uh, talking about um, the impact of you know video on media or something like that. But uh, fortunately, Josh uh, was giving a performance at the time. I think Josh was it. Were you playing the cello or violin or something like that at the time? Do you recall? I was pa- playing a panoply of instruments. Right. Cool. Um, so I caught a little bit of that, and you, you ran through a few of those. So I thought we must have this man on radio and we must find a way to make it uh, a visual thing as well. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> I, I saw you uh, practising out in the green room there, Josh, and I was just like, oh my god, I cannot wait for this. So I think what we might try and do is, before we tell people too much about um, what they're actually about to hear, we might let you have a bit of a play, if that's alright, Josh, Absolutely. and then we'll come back and talk about what's actually happening. So um, we'll be guided by how long you want to have a go. Are you going to periscope this? We, we will. So if, uh, if you jump onto AppBite into it on Twitter, you should be able to um, catch a bit of this. Great. So I will try to describe what I'm doing. <laughs> so essentially I'm wearing two devices on my hands and on my right hand I've got a motion synth and my hand is completely still and I'm just touching the buttons on the touch screen you might be able to hear a little bit of something but not much now if I touch a button and then I start to swing my arm from left to right you should hear something that sounds a little bit like a violin then by uh, touching other buttons on the interface we can move through a musical scale And then instead of swinging from left to right, if I change the orientation of my forearm, I can shift into a different octave. So here we're still in the same octave we were before. Now I'm going to lower my forearm to point at the ground. Then I'm going to raise it up again, go back to the original octave. And then I'm going to raise it up even further such that I'm pointing my hand up towards the ceiling. And we're in that higher octave. So aside from doing things like changing octave, we can change expressive parameters of sound through changes in orientation. So here I'll add some vibrato to a single note. 
So here we have the note with no vibrato and then I'll bring in the vibrato. Take it out again. And I'm just doing this by swinging my arm up and down, adding this upwards and downwards motion. Sort of in a figure eight motion. We can do other things like change the speed at which we transition between notes. So here I'm moving quickly and then by rotating my forearm I can move slowly between the notes. And aside from just controlling one sound, we can also use it to transition between sounds. So here I'm going to rotate my forearm further still around, almost going to point my thumb down to the ground and we're going to shift from a a violin sound to more like a, a, a harp sound. So here we're making the cello violin sound and now I'm slowly pointing my thumb downwards and we've moved to this more harp-like sound. I'll go back again and then come back again. So we can also play different notes via the buttons in this scale and in different octaves. But the difference with this sound is we can use motion to trigger notes as well. So I'm going to swing my arm up and down and it's going to be like we're throwing our fingers across a harp. So moving to my left hand, something completely different. If I just keep my arm very still, we can play something that sounds like chords on a piano. But if I play a note and then I start to move, we'll add another sound, the sound of a, like a brass ensemble. So I'm starting to swing my arm back and forth, left to right. And this is good for playing harmonic kind of sounds. So just to end the demo, I'll just do a really quick little ditty with uh, these kind of sounds mixed together. So I'll play something. And uh, bravo for such a, a good description of um, what was potentially going to be some very bad radio. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's much appreciated. So I'll, uh, I'll let you get, get yourself set up there and, and get yourself a, a microphone down to height and so forth. So, guys, kind of what we're looking at there is if you can imagine someone wearing um, two kind of uh, small kind of gloves or stirrups and it looks like they've got perhaps a couple of smartphones in there and uh, cases which kind of allow you to, um, uh, I, I guess, make keys and, and sort of divide up the... Yeah. We, we, the screen, so. we have tweeted photos of uh, Josh taking 
I did uh, feel go at it. So I did just get a WhatsApp from my uncle in the UK who's currently driving, listening to this because that sounds cool. Oh, that's <laughs> so great! I'll just send him some pictures. Thanks, uncle. So, um, so w- what is the actual um, kit, and, and sort of what what were you doing when you thought, you know, what I should be able to pick up a couple of phones or have some kind of interface and, and be able to interact with music in a, in a more physical way? What were you? What were you? Okay, I kind of felt you ruined my interpretive dance moments. Now. <laughs> <laughs> now you'll know what I'm actually playing. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was originally trying to uh, create my own hardware and it was sort of actually a much musically more ambitious project than this. But then just the realities of trying to get a completely new way of making music out there in terms of the cost for the user and also the cost to me in terms of trying to create and design and manufacture. Uh, This was around the time when smartphones were becoming very smart and could start to sense where they were in space and you had the the kind of electronics that support that. So I saw that as an opportunity to give people the the chance to try out this concept in a way that would be a lot more affordable to them and a lot more achievable as an innovation. So uh, how long have you been working on it? How long did you, from idea to kind of getting a prototype out there to, to work? Well, the idea started actually when I was in Berlin doing something completely different. I'd gone there on a scholarship to do uh, science, a PhD, and I got the inspiration while I was there because of all of this electronic music that I was seeing. And I actually started prototyping while I was there. So this actually goes well before 2009. Right. And, and I, I'm, I'm looking, and, and they work, when you discover this, I noticed from the two devices you've got there, one's a touch. Is one an Apple Touch and one's a phone? Or are they both? That's right, yeah. One's an yeah. iPod Touch and one's a, an iPhone 5. Yeah. And, by, um, and creating this, I mean, I'm thinking you, the software was an easier approach, obviously, to try and create a software for an existing technology rather than having to um, do with the initial idea and the concepts. What, what made you decide, I mean, touch devices, but what made you decide on this particular. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the the, the costs of um, designing electronics, essentially some form of mm. operating system, um, and also the physical uh, structure yep. for something um, as a freestanding bit of tech it would cost a huge, yeah. much, much more. This has yeah. been a real bootstrap sort of shoestring, yeah. shoestring project. I noticed you had the Kickstarter that was successful as well, yep. which is always a, a great for a startup. And with the software that you're creating, is it when you purchase through this? Because I'm looking at this and I want to have a go at this. <laughs> um, is it, how do you get the software onto? Is it a, is it a downloadable app from the App Store or well, is it? Yeah, the the apps actually. There's a free version of the app. Yeah. Uh, if you just search for Motion Synth on the App Store, you'll find yep. it. And uh, it's designed to give you an experience of um, motion-based music without needing the physical part. Yep. Uh, And then the physical part is really there for if you want to sort of take it to the level where it's really an instrument. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in terms of the physical structure, I really just tried to add absolutely only what was necessary. So really what it's about is um, turning it into a practical musical interface yeah. such that you don't have to grip the device and this really increases the dexterity with which you can play. Yeah. And then we also have this tactile component across the screen which is essential for giving you constant feedback about where your fingers are when you're playing. Right, okay. And how many different iterations did you go through to try and... Oh, many, yeah. yeah. There were a lot of different uh, design ideas. Uh, so, yeah, this, is, this is, comes through quite a process. 
And uh, do you have a musical background yourself? Was that did you want to? I've always been an amateur musician. Yeah, yeah. But ironically, I'm more from a kind of folky, kind of acoustic background. So this is a very strange electronic world for me to go into. So for the uh, for the person out there like Dan who, who likes to do a bit of air bass or, or air drumming, how, how long does it take to pick up something like the org and um, and to be making music in, in some form? Well, relative to other instruments that I've learned, uh, it's actually a lot easier to learn in terms of reaching an expressive experience. Uh, it, it's it's quite rapid in terms of your actual learning. Okay, and. Um, uh, there probably aren't really a lot of limits to what you can apply. So whether it's um, a, you know, a, a stringed instrument or whether it's a key instrument or, 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 or brass or something like that, how many how many kinds of instruments can you um, use across something like the org? Well, as you say, it's really kind of limitless. It's essentially, for people who are familiar with the technology, it's a MIDI controller. So right. it really just sends out uh, musical messages that are then interpreted by software, either other apps running on the same device or um, external devices. So in this today I was using a laptop, mm. controlling laptop software. Um, in terms of the instruments that it's really good for, it's it's in the way that I've been using it, it's, it's particularly useful for continuous tone instruments. So, for example, like a violin or a trumpet or something, those very expressive instruments in the way that they emulate the human voice, I think it does, uh, it controls those kind of things in a kind of league of its own, really. Uh, and at the risk of um, throwing you in the deep end here, what, are, what do um, good musicians think of it when they sort of give it a try for the first time? Professional musicians? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's definitely a very different way of doing things. And uh, it really depends what their background is. So a keyboardist will, will use it in a really different way to like someone who's used to, uh, say, using like a bowed stringed instrument. Mm. It's night and day in terms of how they, uh, they approach it. Um, usually people are pretty thrilled by the experience and sometimes quite surprised uh, because, uh, in fact, I had a recent experience where um, a friend who's familiar with the instrument was playing it and his girlfriend was watching him play. She'd watched him play for about five minutes. Then she picked it up for the first time and she was totally shocked that she actually had to move. And I just found this so hilarious because she'd been watching her boyfriend for like five or ten minutes just thinking he was a complete tool because he was constantly moving over every note as if it really mattered. She thought he was just getting into the moment. (laughs) That's great. And uh, in terms of the, I guess, the business side of it as well, um, do you kind of... Do you just want to um, indulge people who enjoy this this um, kind of experience with music, or is it the sort of thing that you think every house should be having, and you know we should all be sitting around watching Dad sort of bashing out the ACDC on it, or what's your vision for it? Well, it uh, as a completely different way of making music. Uh, it definitely is initially going to only well, it's definitely going to be for early adopters mm. initially. So it's going to be for those people who um, either really appreciate what it can do on a, on a kind of uh, expressive level in a kind of tech on a, in, a, in a technological way or it's mm. people who really want to be different mm. but in terms of its usefulness and benefit to people i see it uh being applicable to absolutely everyone so could you apply different sort of sounds to each each button i'm almost seeing this in my head as a visual of a, a people djing and using it as a sampler to be able to and then if you're going to connect it to light then you can basically 
orchestrate the entire venue it'd be something that'd be amazing <laughs> yeah yeah there's been a lot of interest in the visual yeah. side and people are starting to experiment with that and I, I totally agree there's there's a whole other aspect that's not what i've been showing today which is all about sort of melody and harmony yeah because even the, just watching you do it and it the the fluid motions and the the movement that you sort of engage with it looks like you're involved in it because you are mm. but then also when the color changes from the from the your um software that you've created that for the app when you change color and it changes tone and, and sort of you've even put in that small human touch of it glowing it gets bright it gets yep. changes color and mood yeah if you, yep. you reflect that onto a into a venue then you're kind of creating an, an ambient ec- environment that you're yeah 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 absolutely of. and and for anyone who visits the website at org.com you'll see the main the video on the main page uh all the visuals in that video behind the performers are all being controlled by the performers at the time yeah so, uh, what's your um, proudest moment with with the device so far? What have you kind of done that you've just thought, wow, that's that's kind of really cool and I'm so glad I've, I've put much of my life into this? Well, it's really been seeing what other people do with it. Yeah. I mean, that's, for me, the, the absolute thrill is seeing other people use it, seeing how they use it in their own way and the way that they sort of interpret it. That's, for me, the, the real joy of it. It must be great to see kids kind of picking it up and having a play and, Absolutely. and making stuff. Yeah. I'd love to see how a visual artist would um, interpret what the org does for them as as whether they're you know, performing or painting or jumping around. Like I think that would be something really cool to collaborate on. I feel and tying yeah. it into a VR space, if you can see, because you're using the gyros and the location of your where your hands are, you can create the patterns in the in the air of where you've just played. And, and then, sorry, I'm already getting excited. <laughs> <laughs> Do this. You, you two can talk after the show. I'm already looking at how much they cost. I'm like, oh, we'll get, get we'll get pizzas. It'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> so it is an amazing uh, piece of kit. Um, so where can people go if they're interested in in, in um, either playing with it or, or buying it or yeah, makes, so a gr- makes a great present. I know, yeah, I know absolutely. Are, absolutely. So um, visit auug.com, www.auug.com, or visit us on Facebook, just search for org. We will be doing that. And just out of curiosity, when is the iPhone 6 and 6S coming out? Very soon. Yeah, we're, right. doing, uh, we're doing the design now and we've been um, designing an upgrade to the software where we're actually going to add sounds to the software. It's going to be, go a little bit beyond just being a MIDI controller. Yep, great. Thank you so much for coming in, Josh. It's, uh, it's a great uh, piece of equipment. And, um, yeah, I, I, I am getting itchy fingers too. I do want yeah, to I'm be able to play with it. <laughs> <laughs> just do that now. Definitely to the office. It's my pleasure. Thanks for the invite. <laughs> Uh, we've been having a, a very visual show tonight. Um, we've just uh, seen a great demo from a, a wonderful creator with um, some motion synths. And we're now joined by uh, Emily Harridge, uh, also a visual creative. She's the founding director of Visual Playground and recently a speaker at, I'm going to get this wrong, Nomon Live. How, how do you say it? Look, that's probably how I pronounce it, but I think they pronounce it very differently, the actual school, so... Right. Okay, well, they'll, they'll come and get me afterwards. Um, that was held in Melbourne uh, over the weekend. Um, so it was an interesting festival. It was kind of um, built as a, a lineup of California-based artists. Um, but the great thing is it's um, visual creatives working uh, in a variety of mediums, uh, video games, commercials, um, uh, film, 
um, some of the credits include Star Wars, um, Avatar, World of Warcraft, Diablo, Call of Duty. W- were you a little bit starstruck? Did you, did you see a lot of people walking around going, wow, I can't believe it's that person? Well, there were some amazingly talented artists and, and just the, the depth of their knowledge and their skills was pretty incredible. So um, I did I did hear a couple of the, the presentations and just, yeah, the, the depth of what they were talking about. They just had incredible knowledge. Do you get a sense um, at the moment that um, things are changing very quickly for, for sort of visual creatives in, in this field? Um, I was having a, a look at your website um, for Visual Playground earlier and there's a, a lot of really fun um, projects there. I, I guess a lot to do with um, sort of video and, uh, I guess, uh, animations for TV shows and, and so forth. What are some of the biggest changes you've seen since in your time in the industry? Oh, look, there, there's been there's been a lot of changes. I mean, the, the core of what Visual Playground's been about has been creating opening title sequences for TV shows shows that's mm. been our, our background for the last 13 years and we've we've built on that we've built on our offering and now we do um tv commercials as well and the, i suppose one of the biggest changes that has been um that you're not only delivering for just for broadcast anymore it's not just for on air so you, you also be delivering for, for web and for social media for all other forms of media and other platforms including virtual reality so that's one area that we've really built on over the last 12 months um, to the point now where we can deliver pretty much everything that we can do within the traditional sense of production and post-production. Is it is it being driven by the supply side um, productions and and um, uh, I guess TV studios going we've got this technology at our fingertips so we can do it or are fans of the shows kind of calling out for it like if it's I'm a celebrity get me out of here do they want to be there do they want to be able to look around and see you in know terms I'm of in the jungle reality, yeah or kind of it, any kind of is, immersive experience it's really yeah. just gaining momentum uh, it's just starting to build and the ideas are, are starting to be uh, formed from the um, digital departments at the production companies and the network so we're also contributing to the ideas side so um, we we've been doing quite a number of presentations to get people familiar with virtual reality so that they um, will ha- can ha- know what tools are at their disposal so we've had a number a lot of agencies coming in and we're just finding that it's it's an education process so we're talking about the different levels of vr and even suggesting some ideas um, for them so with australia's got talent uh, it, it was because we did a demo and then suggested that they use it as part of the show and they were they jumped at it so it was um it, it turned out quite well uh, do you have your own kind of personal favorite things that you'd like to be doing with virtual reality uh, i was thinking about with with iphones and with older generations it's hard to get people to do stuff when it's just maybe photos or music or something like that they don't see the reality but once it becomes things like banking or health james was talking about um a, a little bit earlier what are some of the things that are going to be really useful in virtual yeah, reality yeah so i mean look as i said there's different levels of virtual reality and the the very the entry level i suppose is 360 video mm-hmm. that you can view currently on social media like facebook and youtube YouTube. So that's that. Most people have a smartphone these days; they can view it automatically, automatically on their phone, and that's really exciting because it gets people to. Like the number of comments of some of the videos that we've done. 360 videos you can see that this completely wowed by the fact that you can look around so the next the next level from that is using the virtual reality headset and it's the same output so you're outputting a 360 video and you're looking around but you've got the virtual reality headset whether it's the samsung gear vr or it could be an oculus or um, cardboard that now the google cardboard mm. uh, i don't know how much your listeners know but um that works with a standard smartphone 
do it so yourself. Yeah. You can pretty much take any smartphone and place it into one of these Google Cardboards and, and it becomes a reality, a virtual reality headset. So that's where you can see that the general public are going to be starting to use virtual reality and to be able to experience it for themselves. I, I, I noticed, uh, did you, uh, you, I'm assuming you, you will definitely heard about it in, the, in London when they did the 100 years of the centenary of London and they did the VR through Google Maps so you could see what something would look like 100 years ago. So you could have the app, you hold your phone up and you can look around where you are and see sort of Trafalgar Square and what it would have looked like 100 yeah. years ago. That's the kind of, that's I right. think that will interest the older generation when they can that's see right. it. That's right, yeah. So in answer yeah. to your question, the different uses of virtual reality, look, I think it will impact so many different industries from mm. tourism and travel, property developments. You'll be able to look yeah. at um, and what a property would be built, say, like a visualisation, but you'll be able to stand yeah. in a location and see it without it even being built. Yeah. Um, training and education. Yeah. So training, if you might, um, you can imagine a situation where you can be running through some scenarios and this is where the next level of virtual reality comes in, where, where you're interacting in the space. So um, you could be running through something which had a number of options or scenarios, like choose your own adventure style, and that could be something that worked for training. Um, so automotive, I suppose, yeah. car configuration and looking architecture at as different well. cars, architecture. Yeah. It really, like so many industries are going to benefit from the technology. Do you, find, do you think it's also, it helps as a time-saving and cost-saving approach for these big manufacturers and so, I'd say in some cases it would definitely. I think I think Audi have started to do it, where they create the, the car in a three D three D environment, and then you can walk around the car and they can see faults and look at things before it's actually made. So it saves them tens of millions of yeah, dollars. Yeah, that's right. And so that, will it will it, and will a building um, effect look ugly? Like, or will it work in that space if you can put a three D virtual reality on and, and yeah. see it on, on, at the but side of the It end. might work the other way for, for buildings as well. Like, if what if you're building something that's really small? You might not want people to yeah, see yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> and then for people like us, if, we're, if you're buying an apartment off the plan, you can actually see what the view's going to look like before you're in it. So Yeah, that's right. I'm just, I'm no, it. that's right. That's completely right. So yeah. the, the, you, the sky's the limit, really, yeah. of what, what you can do. James is actually not virtually excited <laughs> <laughs> about the prospects here for, for people at home. Mm. Um, one of the things that um, does sort of uh, give me pause for thought about virtual reality is the the group dynamic around it. Um, it's seen, uh, to me, I, I kind of see it as a very solitary experience. And there was that um, picture of uh, Mark Zuckerberg a couple of weeks ago at a Facebook yeah. conference where yeah. he was walking in with a huge smile on his face and all those people were in this very... It was kind of like the Matrix, just kind and of no, sitting nobody there with nobody even a, knew uh, that he was there. <laughs> no, no, which is, which is kind of nice. But... Um, <laughs> What's the what's the social experience for virtual reality? So, so at the moment, it is a solitary experience. So it, you can have your own um, experience of, of watching a three sixty degree video, and you're not really aware of anyone else or what's going on around you. Um, however, that, that's that's with a three sixty degree video. So if you go to a real-time solution, there, there's positional tracking which can track you and, and place you within a scene. So there's a company, you've probably heard of Zero Latency. Mm-hmm. Now, that takes it to another level and they use motion tracking and you can actually see all the other participants in the game and I think there's six people mm. that are playing that game at the same yeah. time. So if you're using something like that, then yeah. you are conscious of other people being um, around you in that space. And then I think that's where it will be headed, where you'll be eventually... 
sort of have a virtual you that you'll be able to, um, yeah, Stop interact with other people. And, yeah, we could have be having a conversation like this, but you're actually on the other side of the world. Exactly, and, and you'll be able to sh- have a shared space together. Yeah. And, um, yeah, in virtual reality. <laughs> and uh, what are some of the things that you're excited about over the, over the next year or two? What would you like to be working on in terms of projects? Uh, look, I suppose coming from our background, we love to be able to apply our creative skills. So the opportunities are to, to work with the, our existing customers and create some um, probably more from um, marketing perspective and some really um, interesting campaigns that... Um, or for the for TV shows and just an extension of some of the things that we're doing currently where we can build on the visual effects and animation side and incorporate that into a virtual reality space. Do you think it's at a um, price point yet where people can kind of where it's accessible for everybody? I mean, what, what's the well, kind of thing? Well, I mean, look, I think with 360 video it is. I mean, there's so many yeah, people course. who are able to do that. You yep. can pretty much buy um, a rig and start shooting. Anyone can, can do that. I mean, the difficult thing is the post-production side. Yep. And um, until we get those all-in-one cameras that are high enough resolution, um, you have to go through the stitching process with multiple cameras which look in different directions. And there's a lot of factors to consider consider in the post process so you've got a lot of seams from each Mm. of the cameras where they join together you can have problems with the different cameras at the moment the standard is gopro so if your batteries um if they run out they don't last very long the different exposure levels so all of those factors um go into the post-production side of them you might be able to answer a quick question sorry because i'm like as I've mentioned already earlier tonight about basketball, they do this uh, really smart movement around when they watch the screen in, in the American basketball where they it looks like you're looking around a 3D space of the actual live action. Um, and they, I th- I'm assuming that they're using te- they're using that sort of um, matching the camera, the wide angle lens from one to another. It almost looks like a, a matrix effect where they can m- move around the space. Have you ever done something like that? Uh, like live? I haven't seen it live, but I have seen it's using multiple cameras that are capturing yeah. the action, action and allowing you to freeze that motion. So I imagine that's yeah. the way that they're doing it. But well, I, have, I haven't seen it live. Yeah. But what I have seen is an amazing VR experience with uh, the basketball of LeBron. Yeah. Um, so you, you definitely yeah, need to yeah, check that, that one out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Really open, did it recently. They do it with the sort of the, the line quarters and the, using the different cameras you always see sometimes at half time the, the big camera comes down in the middle that's on wires so they can and kind of create space and use multiple angles so not necessarily the VR is always you're in it but you can always see it afterwards is always a really nice approach there's so many different angles and possibilities mm. that you can do with this to make yeah look I mean virtual reality reality is only one aspect there's there's augmented reality as well yep. is another area where that the what you see will be overlaid in the scene that you are now and that's 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 really interesting as well mm. um in that you will be able to talk to people but you'll have something overlaid that you it might be an instruction manual on how to do something or any kind of animation or yep. visuals that will, will help you to do your your job so i think that's another really interesting area we will have to get you back in to talk uh, about that because that <laughs> that is also very interesting uh emily thank you for coming in and um it's certainly an exciting area to be working in so we uh, we wish you luck with that 
hey, there's a, a couple of super super nerdy things coming up that uh, we might try and um, check out. Well, what's happening uh, in the space race? In, in, in space in general, uh, Lunar Mission 1 is an internationally crowdfunded effort to send an autonomous robotic lander to the moon's south pole in 2024. Um, to It's going to be performing scientific experiments, leaving time capsules and generally doing things that we did on the moon 40, 50 years ago. But um, this, there will be a public lecture uh, coming up Oh, sorry, one second. This Friday, the 11th of March at 5.30pm at uh, the University of Melbourne, um, David Iron is a former Royal Navy engineering officer and advisor to national investment institutions. Um, he has been working on... He's the founder of Lunar Missions Trust and Lunar Missions Limited, and he will be lecturing at the University of Melbourne. We will tweet out a link if you wanted to get yourself along to that. You do need to book. Sounds pretty cool. Do you, do you have to put some money in for that as well? Um, it is free. Yeah. It is free. Great. And speaking of the future, we've got uh, Future Melbourne at Digital City Hack 2016, which is a uh, local initiative. It's on Friday the 18th of March at 5pm. Um, it's a free event and you can create, basically create a team beforehand, for, uh, form a team of people you may know or even people you may find meet there at the time and um, basically talk about Melbourne's vision for the future and figure out how we could use emerging technologies to shape the way we play learn and interact with each other in the city i was just thinking about how much fun it would be to hack um pedestrian crossing lights i hate it when someone pushes the pedestrian lights and then they just cross anyway and then like a minute later all the cars are just pulling up to this empty light oh so annoying i wonder how it would work it'd have to be like consensus if three people in three independent cars say yep there's nobody here at this crossing you can change the lights yeah huge (laughs) (laughs) it's almost like why hasn't it got smarter there you know the the timing's always based on 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 busy busy hours yeah. it's not actually smart enough to know whether it is busy or not there should be off-peak lights yeah. i mean maybe there are but they, I, never, I think they do have off-peak lights i've no okay. I've, I've noticed before they do like, have off-peak and on-peak yeah, lights but yeah. remember when you're trying to cross the road at four o'clock in the morning on swanson street back 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 when you were where footloose and fancy free and the, mm. you're waiting for that light to change you have to wait four minutes there's no traffic <laughs> and you stood there by yourself. oh now that, that is a first world problem if ever i've heard one man just cross the street although you shouldn't because it's illegal yeah that would be bad news. Um, hey, it was uh, it was good to have a kind of a visual show tonight and, and have some people in there kind of like gesturing with their hands and, yeah. and so forth. Um, I'd really like to hear more from um, both of those areas around, um, mm. I guess, creating music physically and, and also um, virtual and, and augmented reality. There's a lot of fun to be had well, It's going to be to the point where I'm, I was thinking Skype is eventually... So Skype was a game... It was a... Damn it, I'm saying game changer. I'm mm. going to have to drop by yeah, someone to beer for <laughs> saying that. Um, that it, it, as soon as it happened, it was something different like because like, I'm from the UK I, I could suddenly start to speak enough to pay $72 to talk to people in England but now with a video you're going to do the same thing where I can sit and face each other and have a conversation it feels even like you, uh, the world's, world's getting smaller so it's fantastic it sets you up in the fake couch yeah. it, it does <laughs> um, we've had a lot of fun it's been bite into it and we'll be back next week on a Wednesday night enjoy your night This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.